Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? So glad that you're tuning in here to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez here, as always, so thankful to be with you in studio. Man, I get pumped and excited. I pray you do as well, because this is an opportunity to look into the life of Jesus Christ. And the more that I've been teaching this and the more I've been studying and praying and talking to other people just about Jesus Christ, I just finished after three months of studying like 20 some odd books and looking at the historical significance of Jesus Christ, looking at you know, historical criticism on his life and looking at different liberal scholars going back to the 15th century and all these different things and looking at the evidence of his death, burial, and resurrection. And I just got to tell you, and then of course studying for this podcast, going through the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I just love studying the life of Jesus Christ. There has been no person in the history of the planet who have done the things that Jesus Christ has done, who have impacted the amount of people that Jesus Christ has impacted. So I just pray that you continue to study with me, that you have been emboldened and encouraged and convicted, but also inspired to take what you are learning on this podcast. Because man, I love hearing from you guys. When you take these podcasts, you take the notes that we make available We're on Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes, other platforms. You can go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcasts, take the notes, share them. Go through this series with some friends at church. Start a small group. I believe right now that we're in a phase where you're seeing more of uh, of, of the Christian community, if you will. We believe in Christ as Lord and Savior in order to be a Christian, right? You need to know Christ as your Lord and Savior to confess the Bible says Romans 10, 9 and 10 with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. But there is such biblical biblical illiteracy among the person of Jesus, not just understanding him in the context of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but even being familiar with miracles, different parables, why he did what he did, giving evidence for his death, burial, and resurrection. So we need to encounter Jesus more. I, I strongly believe that. And it's just been amazing that the last two years in our ministry, we've devoted just fixating our eyes, turning our hearts and our minds to Jesus. So now we come to podcast 83. We are going to go through Matthew 19, verses 13 through 30, Mark 10, 13 through 31, Luke 17, 11 through 37, and Luke 18, 1 through 30. Now, before you freak out, we will make sure that this will be put into two podcasts, okay? And so what I did was I divide up these passages in scripture into six different lessons. So what we'll do is we'll tackle the first four lessons. Now, if you recall in podcast 82, that was in John chapter 11, where Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. And he's leaving now from Bethany and he's in the outskirts of Jerusalem. He's going to be hanging out in Samaria and Galilee and he's going to be teaching and performing miracles. Now, at this stage now, just a few days removed, possibly, the miracle of Lazarus is spreading across the regions. And that's where we pick things up now in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, where Jesus heals 
the 10 lepers. And this is where we introduce the first lesson. And it's about praising God, giving praise to him. Notice verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along or going between the border of Samaria and Galilee. So right off the bat, Luke is recording uh, about Jesus's journeying on the outskirts of Jerusalem where he will be betrayed, crucified, and buried outside the city. Now, this was a very uh, robust area. This was a very active area. There was a lot of activity and it was definitely an easy path, not easy in the sense of, of traveling per se on foot, but it, it was linked to these different cities to get into Jerusalem. But I also believe Jesus oftentimes went through here because this is his upbringing. This is what he's familiar with. But at the same time, it was always reminding him of what was going to come, that he will be betrayed, that he will be crucified. But one day he will rise from the dead. Now, verse 12 says, and as he, Jesus, entered a village, he was met, meaning 10 lepers came near him and they stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, meaning chief commander, have mercy. So here these 10 lepers are pleading with Jesus to have mercy. In Greek, it literally means show kindness for someone who is in need. Now, as Jesus was coming from Bethany, where he, remember, as I mentioned, raised Lazarus from the dead, these reports, remember, were spreading. And I believe that these 10 lepers heard about what Jesus had done. And so they decide to approach him when they hear that he is entering their city. Now, notice they don't refer to Jesus as just a rabbi, a man of authority. They refer to him as a chief commander. They are begging this chief commander. They're submitting to his authority and they're believing in his power to heal, heal them of their leprosy. But they're also standing at a distance. And the reason for that was because lepers, as you and I know, were forbidden to come near people because they were considered unclean, according to Leviticus 13 and Numbers chapter 5. Verse 14 says, when he saw them, Jesus said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, let's pause for a moment here because we can just kind of skip over this and not see the significance of this. Notice Jesus doesn't say to them, well, come here and let me touch you. He doesn't say, you are healed, go and present yourself to the priest. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Jesus gives them a bold command. He's saying, you are healed, so go, but he doesn't say those words. But notice it says now, and these lepers went to be cleansed. See, what's extraordinary about this, my friends, is that it shows the faith and the obedience of the lepers. They left not fully being healed yet, not being healed, matter of fact, at all. But on the way going to the priest to be presented in the temple, they were healed. And they believed that. They believe by the time they would came to the priest for examination, their leprosy would be gone. That's pretty extraordinary if you think about it. Now, George H. Morris writes this. He says, the one condition of healing was obedience. Ordered, they must obey. If he was master as they had cried he was, then let them prove their faith by their obedience. And that's what they did. They were crying out, chief commander, have mercy on us, meaning heal us. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests which was a statement of saying, you've been healed, even though you look down and you're thinking, nope, I still have leprosy. But he says to go to the priest for examination. So we believe by the time we get there, we will be healed. 
Verse 15 says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Isn't that interesting that Luke kind of inserts that at the very end? So here we have a situation where these 10 lepers are begging for Jesus to show mercy, to heal them. And upon them being healed as they left in obedience, only the Samaritan turns back to give thanks to worship Jesus for this miraculous healing. Now, this reinforces a story, remember, that Jesus had previously told, and it was about the Good Samaritan. Remember, it was Luke who mentions this in Luke 10, 29 through 37. It was also Luke who gave an account of Jesus healing lepers in Luke chapter 5. In that case, Jesus touched that leper, remember? So these other nine, these Jews, they were they left in obedience, but they felt that it was more important to conduct the religious ceremony so they can get back to their families rather than return for a moment and give thanks like the Samaritan did to Jesus. So with, with them not coming back like the Samaritan, this was actually a sign of rejection. Now we think, well, if they've been a leper, they've been an outcast and they have been around their family, we don't know these men's stories. But you, could, you would think, how can we fault them if they wanted to get back to the families? Well, it was the source of their healing. It was the object of their healing. It wasn't just their obedience that healed them. It was the command of Jesus saying, go to the priest because I will heal you. So them not turning back to give thanks to Jesus is a sign of rejection. Because notice in verse 17, then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally in Greek, it means your faith has saved you. So Jesus here calls out the ungrateful hearts of the nine Jews. And he affirms in the process, his divine nature in the midst of this healing, that I am the chief commander, the chief shepherd, the great healer. I am the Messiah. It was the Samaritan who recognized this. And the Samaritan was not only healed physically like the other nine Jewish lepers who were healed from their leprosy, but it was only the Samaritan who was healed spiritually of his sins because he turned to Jesus and he worshiped him. So the first lesson here that we learn from the 10 lepers is we need to give praise to God. Here's a second lesson now, my friends. It's about anticipating the coming of God. And here in Luke 17, verses 20 through 37, Jesus describes his return this way. Verse 20 says, being asked after healing the lepers by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, literally to be watched with visible markers, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you literally just means it's within your reach. It's among you. So the Pharisees we see, their question was not a sincere one. They were not asking because they genuinely wanted to know when the kingdom of God is coming. They were challenging Jesus to summon his kingdom saying, okay, if you could do these things, if you can heal these lepers and you could tell them that they're saved and you have that authority, then prove it, show us your kingdom. And I think it was also a way when they would challenge Jesus this way, it was almost trying to divulge his plot to overthrow the Romans, meaning they wanted to expose him as an insurrectionist. 
But that wasn't the case with Jesus because notice when he's using this phrase, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. He responds to the Pharisees by telling them that the kingdom of heaven is already among them. But because of your hostility, because of your unbelief, and because you anticipate it to be a systematic takeover, you miss it completely. And that's precisely where these Pharisees were at. Jesus was telling them, and he told them this time and time again, when you look back at Luke chapter 11, verse 20, Matthew 12, verse 28, the kingdom of heaven is right in front of them. He's the Messiah. This is something that Jesus taught repeatedly. Luke 11, verse 20, Matthew 12, 28. Jesus taught about the coming of the kingdom of God. Remember in Luke 14, 15 through 24, they've heard this and yet they have repeatedly decided and chose to reject it. Then verse 22 says, and he said to his disciples, so he turns his attention from the Pharisees to the disciples. And he says, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it. Now, What's interesting about this portion of Jesus's teaching, this discourse, if you will, in verses 22 through 37, is going to be very similar to what we will learn later in our podcast of the Olivet Discourse, which is found in Matthew 24 through 28. And there Jesus, remember, teaches during his final week before crucifixion about the coming end days, right? That's the eschatological position that Jesus lays out in Matthew 24 through 25. So here for right now, we see that Jesus is telling his disciples that the day will come when he will depart shortly and they will long for him. You see, these teachings are very familiar to the Jews because they debated over and over and over again for centuries over the quote-unquote future days of the Messiah. What will it look like? When will it happen? These are things they debated about. And so here Jesus is giving them the answers that they have been asking for all of these centuries. In verse 23, and they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. Jesus is saying that there are many false messiahs that will arise, have arisen and will continue to arise, claiming to be the redeemer of Israel. He says in verse 24, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so the son of man will be in his day. So Jesus is saying that his return will be known. If you want to know about my return, don't look for particular signs and try to figure it out, try to calculate it. When I return, it will be known throughout the whole world. It will be bright, it will be unmistakable, and it will be sudden. Listen to the words that Jesus will later say in Matthew 24, verse 27. For as a lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 30 then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Verse 25 says, But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. See, this is a concept that was foreign to the Jews. Yes, there was this suffering servant, and it was highly uh, debated, but they could not construct this idea of this great Redeemer being someone who dies. So this suffering servant in context of the Messiahship was, was not something that they had reconciled. But Jesus is saying, yes, I will return in my glory one day. But before that happens, I'm going to die and I'm going to be an atonement. I'm going to be a sacrifice because that's necessary for your victory. This is something he said in Matthew 16, verse 21 in Mark 8, 31. 
And then he transitions and he says this in verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. And to the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of, no- of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Literally here in the Greek is, this is the apocalypse to come. So here Jesus uses two Old Testament accounts of sudden judgment. He refers to Noah's flood in Genesis 6 through 8. And he also refers to Sodom, the destruction of Sodom, remember Gomorrah in Genesis 19 to illustrate his future return. Now, I like what this commentary says here. Notice the important thing is not to chart the future, but to be ready for his coming at any time. This means paying no attention to the sensationalists and to the people who claim to know all the secrets. Jesus compared the last days to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Both men lived just before great judgments, the flood and the destruction of Sodom. Noah warned the world of his day that the flood was coming and the angels warned Lot and his family that destruction was coming, but the warnings did no good. Only Noah and his family, eight people were saved and only Lot and his two unmarried daughters escaped from Sodom. What will the world be like just before the final judgment and the coming of the world? Will it be business as usual with little concern for the warnings God sends? People will eat and drink, attend weddings, and carry on their vocations, and then the judgment will catch them unprepared. In Noah's day, there was a great deal of violence, and in Lot's time, men were given to unnatural lusts. We see both of these characteristics in our own day, end quote. Verse 31 says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop, remember, by the way, the, they were just the flat rooftop where the families did a lot of their activities. So he says, when one is out there on their housetop with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Now here in the Greek in verse 33, where Jesus says, whoever seeks to preserve, in the Greek it means whoever seeks to save or to keep safe his life will lose it, meaning they will suffer destruction. But whoever loses his life will keep it. So only those whose lives are surrendered to Christ will be ready for his return, period. Remember, this is all about anticipation. And that's the lesson here. Jesus reminds his followers to not let earthly possessions or anything for that matter, not even their status in the world, to consume them to the point where they neglect the return of Christ. Then Jesus says in verse 34, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, this is very confusing. In the context right now, we're talking about anticipation and the return of the Lord. Why all of a sudden is he talking about vultures and corpses and women grinding and one's there, one's taken, one's in bed, one's left and one's taken kind of thing? Well, some commentaries believe that Jesus is actually referring to the rapture to come. 
However, I don't believe that's the case. I don't think that that actually fits the particular event itself, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. However, what I do think that Jesus is conveying here is he's talking about, remember, coming judgment. In the context, that's what we've been reading about. And so what he's saying is at some point when he returns, there will be those who are taken to be judged and those who will enter into the kingdom. And that's what it's about. You and I are living life right now, my friends, in the church age with our faith and our trust in Jesus as our Savior, and we're waiting for his return that can happen at any given time. And that when he returns, when he comes for his children, there will be that total blissfulness. We will receive our resurrected bodies. And then there's going to be the judgment of those who rejected him, just like those nine lepers who were healed. And our final lesson on today's podcast in lesson three is seeking God. And what Jesus now does here is he transitions and gives a parable of the unjust judge and a widow. Now you think, why all of a sudden now is he talking about this? Well, notice it says in verse one of Luke 18, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, what's interesting is this Greek word effect It literally means out of necessity or compulsion. And this word not to lose, meaning not to be discouraged, not to give into evil, not let their heart become evil because they're so overwhelmed. And you're thinking, why all of a sudden uh, is he talking about this? Well, I believe because after hearing about this coming judgment, Jesus wants to assure his disciples that the one way to make sure that you don't ever lose heart, that you don't become so discouraged where you lack faith and therefore you're not anticipating his return is persistent prayer. That is the key. That is the key to seeking and living out God's will is to be persistent in your prayers. Now to drive home this lesson, notice what Jesus says in verse two. He says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God, meaning he didn't, he didn't, he didn't defy the vengeance of God nor respected or revered man. So in this little description that Jesus gives in this opening parable about this judge is this judge is indifferent to the laws of God and this man thinks he's better, he's superior to other people. Now this description that is given about this judge who's indifferent, right, of God's laws, he's probably a magistrate. He's a a person who's not a Jew. He's probably a Roman working for the Romans. And so he, and, and again, this was very common in the first century in the second temple where they would send them out to oversee or rule on cases that would happen in these different districts. Because notice in verse three, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now this phrase kept coming it's repetitive. She just kept over and over and over and over again coming and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now let's kind of put this in context, as I was saying earlier with these magistrates when they go into these cities. Now these court settings, they were placed in this mobile tent. So they would move around into different districts and they'd be there for days. Depending on the population would depend on obviously how long they were there. Now a judge would sit underneath these tents in their chair of authority and they would rule on these cases around these districts to hear you know on the matters that the people were were dealing with so it wasn't unusual for people though even at that time to bribe different assistants uh, uh, to the judge 
and to rule into their favor. Now, when you think about a widow, she's probably older. She doesn't have money. She doesn't have protection of her husband. She wasn't going to get anywhere. And that's why she repeatedly came over and over again saying to this judge, give me justice against my adversary. And he didn't want to rule on her. He didn't want to hear her. And he just shows again that he didn't care about this woman at all. She had no money. She had no authority, no position of power, no, no influence. Yet, despite all that, she was resilient. She kept finding a way to appear before the judge. And then we're told in verse 4, for a while, meaning an indefinite period of time, he refused. It literally means he didn't wish to help her at all. But afterward, meaning as he heard her plea over and over and over and over again, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Verse 5 says, yet because this widow keeps bothering, I love this because in Greek it means because this widow keeps harassing me, because this widow keeps troubling and causing me distress and beating me to become weary, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me or wear me down by her continual coming. This word continual coming means executing an achievement to be resolved. So with this unjust unrighteous judge is saying is that this widow isn't intimidated by me at all. And she's more resilient and she's more determined to get her way than I am not giving it to her. That's how determined this woman was to receive the justice. Now, again, we don't know what justice to whatever adversary she was faced with, but she, she believed that she deserved justice. And more than likely, the widow was shouting outside the tent. So and when you put in context, remember the tent, you got the assistants that were there. The judge is sitting on his, his, his chair of authority. There are people that were lined up and they're pleading their cases. She's outside the tent and she is just making a ruckus. She's out there disturbing the flow and the procedure of the judge. And this was in sheer frustration that he just says, fine. I will give it to you because of your incessant pleading. Here you go. I'm going to rule in your favor. Now notice in verse six, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry, meaning who scream to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, before I conclude on verse six, seven, and eight, and what it means. I want to say this, my friends. In my life as a Christian, and as I go to the word of God, and I oftentimes explore passages on prayer, you turn to Psalms, you look at David's prayers, you look at Hannah's prayer, you look at Daniel's prayers, Nebuchadnezzar's prayers, all of these prayers, Paul's prayers. But I oftentimes look at this passage in Luke 18. Matter of fact, I'd say this. The persistency that I've learned to have in my prayer life comes from this parable. This parable has changed my total outlook on what prayer is all about. And the reason being is because it's so audacious. It's so insane if you look at it. And yet this is what Jesus gives us. Prayer oftentimes is about screaming. It's about being so persistent so in your face, it's not in a grumpy way and in a selfish way or an ungrateful way. Remember in context as he's teaching all this, the first thing that we saw was give praise to him. The second thing we saw is to anticipate his coming, his kingdom to come, not ours. That reflects the Lord's prayer. 
Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when it comes to overcoming discouragement, we have to be persistent in our prayers. And so this this parable, when you look at it, when Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge says, what he's saying was, if this unrighteous judge gives in, how much more will your heavenly Father give to those who scream out to him? Jesus is reminding his people, as he's reminding us today, as you and I are, are going through Luke 18 right now, listening to this parable, that Jesus hears your prayers, my friends. And the amazing thing about this parable, too, is it's similar to an imprecatory psalm, meaning a psalm of, of, of cursing or judgment, right? Something of depravity oftentimes. It goes really deep and it's oftentimes discouraging. And we see this widow, she's going through pain. She's alone. She is seeking justice and you have this evil man that's in power and you can get so discouraged over this, but she's like, no, I'm not going to let this bother me to the point where I give up. I will fight until I have justice. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's supposed to be your prayer life. Your prayer life is to reflect that. Remember before this, in Luke 11, five through eight, he talked about the persistent neighbor. So it's one thing for you to be annoying to your neighbor by knocking at midnight for food, to get out of bed, to give me something that I need for my guest. It's now another thing when you have a widow who, has, who stands no chance in receiving justice because she doesn't have status. She doesn't have wealth. She's a woman. And this Roman magistrate is like, I don't care about you at all. But if this unjust judge can answer the widow's request for mercy, how much more so, think about it, my friend, how much more so will our Heavenly Father answer your pleas? And this last phrase, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So Jesus ends this teaching to challenge the crowd whether or not he will see this kind of persistent faith and prayer when he returns. You see, as you and I, as you and I anticipate the return of Jesus, we need to be persistent in our praise and we need to be persistent in our prayers before him. Jesus doesn't want, my friends, Jesus doesn't want his people to be reluctant in their prayers. What Jesus wants is he wants us to be productive in our prayers. And so I want you to know that that's my prayer for you, that as you're persistent in your prayers, that you'll be productive in your prayers. My friends, thank you for listening to this podcast. I pray that this has been a huge blessing to you. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.